chapter seventeen a fuel of fire this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org fuel of fire by ellen thornycroft fowler chapter seventeen vain oblations to gods both false and true i'll humbly pray if only they will give me my own way great was the interest felt and expressed round tetley when the vicar's engagement to nora burton was announced which announcement occurred about three weeks after the burning of baxendale and for a time threw that catastrophe into the shade it is strange how the fact that a man loves a woman at once raises that woman in the estimation of her fellows one might naturally suppose that women would reserve their admiration and affection for the woman who is unloved by man and therefore has time to exhaust and gratitude to expend upon the less intoxicating brand of devotion supplied by the weaker vessels but not they as a rule women waste their affection upon the woman who has won a man's and therefore does not thank them for it and reserve but little for those lonelier sisters who being shut out from the feast gladly accept such crumbs as fall from the tables of the more blessed among women therefore her world spoke well just then of nora because she was so happy in the acknowledged love of mr arbuthnot as to be independent of and indifferent to its approval and at the same time it turned a somewhat tepid shoulder toward faith fairfax because for the second time a man obviously foreordained for her had slipped through her fingers and gone openly over to the burton's camp leaving faith in need of friendship and sympathy to supply in some measure the place of the deeper happiness which fate had so sternly denied to her in a measure too this same world shook its head over nancy's affairs it was kinder to her than to faith because she had obviously turned the man's head but apparently she had not secured his heart and so though superior to faith in the esteem of a world which judges effort entirely by result and endeavour entirely by success she was distinctly inferior to nora and was treated accordingly faith was utterly unconscious of the judgment and condemnation which her world had passed upon her and had she known of it would have been profoundly indifferent but not so nancy she knew to a hair's breadth how much nora now outweighed her in society's balance and she raged in her heart against lawrence accordingly as a rule sisters are alike in physical and mental attributes and different in the deeper matters of character and disposition which difference is not generally perceptible until they leave the garden paths which they have trodden together and go out either into the valley of humiliation or on to the delectable mountains whichever the case may be by falling in love up to now nancy and nora had been regarded as convertible terms in fact they had so regarded themselves but at last they had come to the parting of the ways nora who had hitherto been the spoiled and wayward one was so softened and elevated by her lover's influence upon her that her character mellowed and sweetened day by day but poor nancy who had always been regarded as the embodiment of easy-going good nature was fighting such a battle and kicking so violently against the pricks that her scars could not help being more or less perceptible 
she was very angry with lawrence for so persistently putting his own scruples before her happiness and she was all the more angry in that she did not in the least understand the motives that guided him that the very depth and purity of his love for her made it all the more impossible to him to gain her by any save the highest means was simply incomprehensible to her she had no idea that had he idealized her less it would have been easier for him to subordinate to some extent his conscience in the winning of her she was also angry with him for having so utterly transformed her character for having taken away the light-hearted irresponsible nancy of old and put this passionate tempest-tossed creature in her place love like genius is not an integral part of character it is a gift an inspiration direct from heaven sometimes it is in harmony with the natural man or woman to whom it is sent sometimes it is in direct opposition to each one of his or her inborn characteristics yet none the less is it of god and so must in the end prevail one afternoon not long after the announcement of her engagement as nora was starting for evensong nancy joined her i'll walk with you as far as tetley the latter said there are so many things i want to talk to you about but when a girl has a lover her own family gets crowded out somehow i don't want my own people to get crowded out nan i think it is horrid of a girl not to find room in her heart for the old interests as well as the new ones i want to have a talk with you about myself all right i'm listening said nora who had learned that when a girl says she wants to talk about herself it means she wants to talk about her lover i am afraid you are worrying over lawrence baxendale and his stupidity i am and that's a fact he really is very trying he is nancy and the sisters sighed in sympathy you are in luck to be properly engaged to a man without a conscience but this was more than nora could stand oh nancy what a story michael has got a splendid conscience and one in capital working order too clergymen always have oh yes i know that i didn't intend to say anything disrespectful about michael in fact i meant it as a compliment but you don't know what it is to be in love with a man who is everlastingly arranging a sort of spiritual steeplechase for his conscience and making the jump so high that it bucks at every one yes that must be tiresome it is most awfully tiresome i've the greatest respect for the ten commandments and the thirty-nine articles and old-fashioned things like that but i really can't get up any reverence for a lot of home-made commandments and amateur articles of faith and fancy work of that kind and it's no use pretending that i can poor old nancy and you really are in love with lawrence are you yes that's the nuisance if i wasn't i should just laugh at him and his scruples and think of something else but i can't though i've tried my hardest however hard i try to forget him he just gets into everything and flavors everything like the taste of turnips in a snowy winter and there is no getting away from him i can't think why he doesn't quietly take the insurance money and marry on it and live happy ever after said nora no more can anybody else it is rank lunacy on his part still i suppose a man has the right to sacrifice himself to his own conscience if he wants to but he hasn't the right to sacrifice a woman as well that's my point 
if lawrence hadn't made me love him he could have played st simon's stylites to his heart's content but a man has no right to sit alone on the top of a pillar all the week and on a stile with a young woman on his sundays out the two roles aren't compatible he can go in for the style or the pillar whichever he prefers but he can't have both i wonder if you really would be happy with lawrence baxendale said nora thoughtfully i don't know that but i do know one thing and that is that i shall always be miserable without him oh dear oh dear i wish he'd never made me love him i used to be so happy in the old days when love was a game instead of a martyrdom and games are much more in your line than martyrdoms of course they are now some women such as faith for instance really relish a martyrdom and get the full flavour out of it but it is as much thrown away upon me as is caviar on the general i'm not sure that you would be happy if you were married persisted nora you might find it rather dull you are so fond of change and variety and excitement mrs fairfax says that marriage is a luxury to a rich woman but a necessity to a poor one it is certainly not a necessity to you and i expect if you were to marry lawrence you'd say afterward that you would have had a jollier time if you had married somebody else pooh that's nothing it wouldn't mean i wasn't happy if i did say that did you ever in your life know a day's shooting however good that wouldn't have been better if the birds had done something or the dogs had done something else men invariably tell you that after the most enormous bag but it doesn't mean they haven't enjoyed themselves bless you it's part of the game you can't deny that lawrence has been very wearing nancy those conscientious over-scrupulous men always are nevertheless demurred nancy a certain amount of conscience is a comfort in a husband i mean not of course in one's self i can't help feeling that in the medium stage after a husband had ceased to be a treat and before he had begun to be a habit it would be nice to regard him in the light of a religious service it would make one feel so good and happy like singing hymns on a sunday evening it does it is a most lovely feeling i can assure you and you'll have it all your life that's just your luck and poor nancy looked with envy at her more fortunate sister yet you used to be quite as lucky as me i know that is the funny part of it i believe that in falling in love with lawrence i resigned my good luck and took the ill luck of the baxendales instead they've been renowned as an unlucky family you know ever since the old witch pronounced the curse on baxendale hall and you wish that you had never fallen in love with him then sometimes i do and sometimes i feel glad that i have given up everything for him even my good luck i believe you were happier when you and lawrence were only friends and not lovers said nora no i wasn't i dare say i should have been if he had let me but he was troublesome even then he was always constrained and queer because he was so poor as if there were a duty on friendship as there is on tobacco but how did his poverty interfere with his being friends oh i don't know he was in love all the time i suppose and was afraid of it showing and of course it showed in the end those over-scrupulous people always do the thing that they have sacrificed themselves in avoiding but not till it is too late to be of any use nancy groaned that's lawrence all over when we were friends he was always trying not to be lovers and now we are lovers he is always trying not to be friends he is wearing me to a thread oh how i wish i could induce him to see the matter in a sensible light and let us both be happy on the income of the insurance money here we are at the church turning i suppose you are going on to silverhampton no i'm not i'm coming to church with you 
nora opened her pretty blue eyes wide in astonishment nancy was not much of a church-goer as a rule except on sundays coming to church with me yes when i have set my heart on having anything i leave no stone unturned in trying to get my own way replied nancy with praiseworthy fixity of purpose though lamentable ignorance of theology and the two sisters entered the church together when evensong was over nancy paid some calls intently while nora and her lover walked back to wayside together and as they walked they talked of their love for each other isn't it difficult to believe said nora that you and i can ever leave off loving each other even after we are dead not difficult my child but impossible for love carries in himself the proofs of his own immortality none who have truly and deeply loved can doubt that their own are theirs for ever for there is something in the very essence of love which defies death and brings immortality to light you mean that when we really love another person we feel that our love is stronger than death it was noteworthy that while lawrence baxendale devoted himself to the interpretation of nancy nora spent her time in interpreting the thoughts of michael arbuthnot we know that it is from its own internal evidence quite apart from any divine revelation roughly speaking i should say that those men and women who doubt their own immortality have never experienced deep and passionate devotion they may refuse to accept the christian doctrine of immortality that is a different thing but a human being who has once absorbingly loved another human being can never doubt that his love and therefore himself is immortal he is conscious that it is too strong and too godlike an emotion ever to see death i wish nancy were as happy in her love as i am said nora with a sigh poor little nancy i am afraid she has much to go through before she is perfected and yet she is the sort of person that one feels is only suited to success and sunshine it is difficult to think of nancy as anything but nancy victrix yes pity and nancy don't dovetail into each other somehow no they don't agreed the vicar i can think of you as ill and sorrowful and yet yourself your dear sweet lovable self but nancy ill or unhappy would not be nancy at all come and walk round the wood said nora when the lovers reached wayside so they crossed the lawn and entered the little coppice on the further side of it hallo what's that exclaimed michael espying a small dark object under one of the trees that's our idol haven't you seen it before michael no replied the vicar standing still in front of a little stone image what a quaint object where did it come from i don't know it has been here ever since i can remember and when we were children nancy and tony and i used to burn sacrifices before it michael laughed you little heathens on what occasions did you offer up these vain oblations when we wanted anything we used to think that the idol would help us to get our way if only we bribed him with burnt offerings it was rather awful of us wasn't it i don't know that you were worse than many scores of so-called religious people who treat god very much as you treated your graven image but look here what's this somebody has been offering up sacrifices lately and the vicar turned over with his stick a little heap of ashes in front of the stone image it must have been the boys said nora with interest we'll ask them boys she called to her two small brothers who were just then in the middle of the road busily engaged in digging a short cut through the earth to australia arthur and ambrose rushed up to the lovers yes what's up inquired arthur as spokesman have you and ambrose been offering up sacrifices here their sister asked the two children knelt upon the ground and examined the heap of ashes with interest no replied arthur somebody's been sacrificing here but it wasn't us was it amby 
ambrose shook his head we haven't offered up a sacrifice for a long time not since the day at baxendale hall when the big tree was blown down why did you do it then asked the vicar because we wanted to please the tree spirit arthur enlightened him we thought the tree spirit would be very angry at having his tree blown down so we tried to put him into a good temper by offering up a sacrifice to him in the roots of the tree and did you succeed in pacifying him i wonder continued michael both little heads shook violently no we didn't he was so angry that that very night he burned down baxendale hall we knew he'd be in a wax but we never thought he'd do anything as bad as that and then the boys rushed back to continue their underland route i wonder who did offer up the sacrifice mused michael absently stirring up the ashes with his stick nora looked up with a solemn expression in her eyes i know it was nancy i see now what she meant by saying that she never left a stone unturned when she wanted very badly to get her own way End of chapter seventeen